Brian McClanahan Show, episode 221. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. Like my Facebook page, at Brian McClanahan. And, of course, subscribe to my YouTube page, at Brian McClanahan, where you can watch this podcast. You can go to brianmcclanahan.com, B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. And while you're there, you can go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can support the show that way. You can throw a few pennies my way. I'll help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. And anything you do contribute is greatly appreciated. You can also support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. And now you can purchase one of my six courses with my newest course coming out this week, Reconstruction and Recreation. It is a topic for the podcast tonight, and so you're going to want to get that course. I am running a special on it through April 15th. You can get it for 21 bucks off, so it's a great deal. I'm also knocking 15% off all my other courses, but this is only till April 15th, and then the price will go up, and it will never be this low again. So if you're listening to this podcast, anytime, between, anytime before April 15, 2019, you can get the best deal on that Reconstruction and Recreation course. It is an awesome class, 25 lectures. Um, it is equivalent to the same class that I did on the war which I've also knocked 15% off for right now. So get those courses. It's like part one and part two. Uh, and, of course, I'm going to talk about this particular topic tonight as well. Uh, I've also got, again, uh, the other courses, Secession, uh, the, Decl- the, the uh, Declaration of Independence, uh, How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, the American Constitutions class, which is personally my favorite of the ones that I've done. It's an awesome class, the most meaty class that I've got. Uh, and then, of course, the war. And uh, just a lot of great stuff there. Six classes. You don't want to miss any of them. Uh, so go on out to McClanahan Academy. You can also get uh, support the show by going to LearnTrue, T-R-U-E, History.com. LearnTrueHistory.com, where you can use my affiliate link there for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. You can learn from great instructors like Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, uh, myself. Uh, so it's a lot. It's a lot of courses, 20 courses. Um, and it's a, it's a great bang for your buck. So go out to learntruehistory.com, uh, use my affiliate link, and pick up those deals. Okay, all that said, oh, you can also get your Brian McClanahan show. I made, I made it easier for that. If you just go to brianmcclanahan.com, where it says shop or support, one of those at the top, where you just you click on the shop button, I think it's under shop, and it takes you right to the red bubble page. So you go right there, you've got my logo and all kinds of stuff. Very easy to find now. So uh, click on that too and get your Brian McClanahan show gear. All right. Well, let's talk, talk about it. I've got two great topics this week, and they both kind of work together. But this one has to do with the class, and so I want to do it tonight. Uh, second, day, second day of the launch, uh, we've got one week of launch time, so um, I, I want to hit on these particular topics while we can and uh, why you can still get the deal and why the, you know, strike while the iron is hot, so to speak. But we've got uh, an article that appeared in The New Yorker, um, April 1st, 2019. It's by Adam Gopnik. And it's about Reconstruction. Now, it's April 9th. Uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. is going to be having a documentary on the uh, on public broadcasting tonight on Reconstruction. So it's actually, I mean, I didn't plan this, but my course launches the week that the exact opposite view of Reconstruction will also be on PBS. So if you want the real scoop, get my course. 
And then, of course, if you want to watch the PBS nonsense, go ahead and do it. I probably won't. It's a four-part series. Um, I, I don't. If I want, if I want this, I'll just go read Eric Foner. Uh, but it's going to be the same thing. But I want to go through this piece by Gottnick. It's a long piece, twenty pages. Um, so several thousand words. And I want to go through it because of all the stupid things that he says in it. And I want to pick those apart piece by piece and explain where he's wrong in these things. I'm going to say some things about Reconstruction that you won't really hear very often. Uh, a couple of different perspectives. I, Frankly, I've never heard anybody say. Uh, but um, this, is, this is why I provided a course on Reconstruction. Uh, because I think it's important to get the entire picture. So I actually wrote a piece about this uh, for the Abbey Ville Institute. It was picked up by Lou Rockwell today um, on Reconstruction. And again, go to McClanahan Academy. Get my Reconstruction course for a great deal. Uh, you're going to want it. And uh, you know, learn this stuff. Because I think that, that the Gates, what I've seen of it, the preview is correct. Reconstruction is more important than the war, really, when, it, when you talk about the future of the United States. That's why I call the class Reconstruction and Recreation, because America was recreated during Reconstruction. It took time, over 100 years, but it happened. The foundation was there during Reconstruction. The blueprint was put out, and it just took time. In fact, that's what people like Gates, more than anything else, and Gopnik are complaining about. What they really don't like is reconciliation. It's not, it's, it's not the stuff that was going on in the South. I mean, they're, they're, they're critical of that, of course. But what they really don't like is reconciliation. They don't like the fact that Southerners were allowed back in the Union on equal footing with the North, that they weren't punished. See, that's, that's the key to it. They wanted the South to be punished. They wanted a French Revolutionary-style reign of terror in the South. They wanted, they wanted denazification. In fact, Gopnik says it. They wanted Nuremberg trials. They wanted these people executed. For what? is the question. What did they want him executed for? Was it crimes against humanity? Well, certainly no one in the North was going to support that. In fact, the large minority in the North aligned with the South. So the vast majority of Americans wouldn't have supported that position. What are they going to, what are they going to execute them for? Following a position that had been advocated by Northerners and Southerners for 80 years at that point, that is, that secession was legal and constitutional? First articulated by Northerners? I mean, is that what they're going to execute them for? One of the most American things you can have, which is political independence, self-determination, regardless of what Honest Abe had to say. These people were democratic. These governments in the South were elected governments by crushing majorities, not just simple majorities, crushing majorities. And larger numbers supported secession than supported the ratification of the Constitution. It's, I mean, it's clear from the record. So is this what they were going to be executed for? Is this why we're against reconciliation? I think that's it. These people wanted some type of violent, radical overthrow of America. And when they didn't get it, they're upset about it. They're upset about it now. There should have been a reckoning. There should have been a retribution in the 1860s and 70s. It never came. Why did it never come? Because Northerners didn't want it. Now, Gopnik complains about that. I'm going to go through that. So, first, 
I'm going to go through page by page here and talk about the stupidity that is in this piece. Um, Gopnik is not a, is not a, I, I say stupid. I mean, what he says is stupid. I don't think Gopnik's a stupid person. He's a bright guy, but he suffers from the problem of presentism, which is a huge issue in the historical profession, along with popular writers like Gopnik. They are presentists. Everything has to be viewed through the lens of the 21st century. You don't view it through the, lens, through the lens of the 19th century. And those questions are never asked. It's something I bring up in my piece that I wrote for, for Abbeville. I say, look, why has is, why is no one ever asked Gates or Gopnik or Foner if you could vote now and then somebody took away your right to vote tomorrow and they put in power people that were foreign to you or people that you believe didn't have the education or the ability to represent you, would you not try to gain those rights back? It's a question that's never asked. It's just assume. well, I mean, these people should have just sucked it up and taken it. But would Foner and Gates, I mean, would these people not try to get those things back? No one ever asked that question. If that's forcibly taken from you, are you just going to capitulate? Particularly since you're doing something that Americans had recognized, North and South, as a possibility for 80 years prior to 1861. So you're just going to roll over and take it. We're talking about a violent time as well. We just went through a war for four years. These people are not, are not against violence. So what did the Republicans expect? The only way to solve that problem then is executions. And no one in the North had the stomach for that. They weren't going to do it. They weren't going to do it because they knew that they couldn't win a treason trial. Uh, the Blair book, With Malice Towards Some, is actually very good on this. He talks about some people were brought forward on treason, but no one thought, particularly at the at, overall level, Jefferson Davis and others, that they would ever win a treason case because it could not be proved. So what are you going to execute these people for? That's it's a very dangerous precedent. Now we're into, again, French Revolution territory here. But this is what these anti-reconciliationists wanted. These righteous cause mythologists wanted. So it's important to call them out for what they are. They're anti-reconciliationists. They're pro-violence. They're pro-revolutionary. And they are righteous cause mythologists. The righteous cause lie. Not the lost cause lie. It's the righteous cause lie. So let's get started with this. He says, quote, After Lincoln's death, death his hapless and ill-chosen vice president, hapless and ill-chosen, hapless. Uh, why was he hapless? He wasn't hapless. I've already done a podcast on Andrew Johnson. The guy wasn't hapless. He actually had a pretty firm backbone. Uh, the, the fact that he stayed in, in the Union, in the Senate, while his state seceded shows he we had a pretty strong constitution. Uh, that took some guts to do, and he did it. Um, so he wasn't hapless. Uh, Ill-chosen, Lincoln was trying to look for a coalition ticket. He wanted Northern Democrats to vote for him. If he had gone with someone like Thad Stevens, he would have lost some support because most Northerners were not radicals. <laughs> most Northerners were not Charles Sumner and Thad Stevens. That's something we have to understand. Uh, Andrew Johnson did as much as he could to slow the process of black emancipation in the South while the radical core of the abolitionist Republicans in Congress tried to advance it and for a while succeeded. Radical in quotations. Because they were radical, dum-dum. 
They were radical for the time. That's why they're called the radicals. Long dismissed as destructive fanatics, they now seem to be the voices of simple human decency. I mean, these people were just so decent. They wanted to execute Confederate leaders. That's a decent thing to do, isn't it? Confiscate private property. Decent. That's just a decent human being right there. That's decency. That's human decency, don't you know? That's what we should do. Be decent people, go out, confiscate private property, and execute people. That's being decent. That's what we should do. Punish women and children with poverty. We should do that. That's a good thing to do. Those people were traitors. They deserved it. I mean, look at that word. Human decency. These people just believed in human... For who? Who are they... The human decency was actually the with malice toward none position, the reconciliationist. That was human decency. Human decency. You might you could argue that that was Lincoln's. See, Lincoln wanted to create, and I talk about this in the course, a political coalition of uh, conservative Republicans and you know more moderate Democrats uh, and run the government. I mean, Lincoln was trying to do that near the end of the war. Uh, the the uh, the book What Shall We Do with the Negro points this out, and I and I and I talk about that book in the Reconstruction course. Um, so Lincoln's position was human decency. Hiram Rhodes Rebels, who was spot on, of course, Gopnik doesn't like him, or Booker T. Washington. These are people that believed in human decency. Thaddeus Stevens, the abolitionist congressman from Vermont. Well, he's actually from Pennsylvania. Proposed shortly after the war's end in his Lancaster speech, a simple policy. Punish the rebel leaders. That's the decent thing to do. Treat the secession of states as territories to be supervised by Congress. That's the decent thing to do. Thus protecting the new black citizens. Take the confiscated plantations on what masters had worked slaves like animals. That's the decent thing to do. And break up those plantations into 40-acre lots for the ex-slaves to own. Of course, that's the decent thing to do. That this minimally equitable plan was long regarded as radical says something about how bent towards injustice the conversation quickly became. Minimally equitable? Minimally equitable. You're talking about violating the Constitution over and over again here. The general government has no authority to confiscate property. (laughs) To punish the rebel leaders? For what? For what? Show me. Show me where they could have won an argument there, legally. You can't. And in fact, he complains about that. He says, oh, you got this thing, the Constitution out there. That's the real issue. You got a Constitution. And that Constitution is going to block all this stuff. What we need is just to not even, we didn't. We should have ignored that thing. That thing is archaic. I mean, look at what he says. He says, all this was made worse by one of those essential, essentially theological constitutional points which American professors and politicians love to belabor. Lincoln's argument was always that since it was unconstitutional for states to secede on their own, the rebel states had never seceded. The rebels were not an enemy nation. They were just a mob with a flag waiting to be policed, and the Union Army was the policeman. The idea was to limit any well-meaning attempt at negotiation and to discourage foreign powers from treating the Confederacy as a separate state. After the war, though, this same idea implied that since the state governments had never gone out of existence, their reborn legislatures could instantly reclaim all the rights enjoyed by states, including deciding who could vote and when. Well, gee, I mean, this is Lincoln's argument. So if that's the case, logically, then we have to follow that. Now, I could actually agree that the states were out of the Union, 
But then there should have been a declaration of war. There should have been some type of formal treaty and surrender. There wasn't anything. So Lincoln's policy actually dictated how the South was treated right at the end of the war in 1865. Lincoln was still alive when Robert E. Lee surrendered. So what do you want here? So actually, what Gopnik is saying here, he agrees with Stevens, who said that secession actually happened, du jour. Well, if that's the case, the entire war was illegal. I mean, Lincoln, in essence, recognized this too when he allowed for the creation of West Virginia and the Congress as well. Because if, if, if Virginia is still in the Union, then West Virginia can't break free as a state because Virginia didn't give its permission. So Lincoln essentially recognizes. But the fact is, here we have Gottnick saying, well, secession actually happened. I mean, I agree with Thad Stevens. He's saying here that when Stevens said, as Stevens pointed out, the reasoning that says that no state seceded because the Constitution won't allow it would also say that no man can ever commit murder because the law forbids it. Right, the states were out of the Union, de facto and de jour. And if they were out de jour, then there had to be some type of different situation with Reconstruction. And they weren't territories. They weren't conquered provinces. But if they were, and see, the other thing is that he doesn't bring up here, these states were being forced to ratify, a, ratify an amendment to the Constitution. A state that's not a state can't ratify an amendment. He conveniently leaves that out, and he conveniently leaves out all kinds of things in this particular piece to make his point. This is why it's stupid. Black codes were put in place in most southern states that through various means, some overt and some insidious Limited the rights of blacks to work and relocate. You mean the black codes that were invented in the North. And what Southerners couldn't figure out, hey, Northerners, why are you picking on us for this? You got them in Illinois. You got them in Indiana. You got them in Ohio. What's the difference here in the South? The legislative reconquest. The legislative reconquest. You mean the state governments that were legally elected. Those things? I mean, following Lincoln's plan of reconstruction? You mean those, those legally elected governments? Yeah, those. Right. Uh, was backed by violence. The Ku Klux Klan, formed as a terrorist organization by ex-Confederate officers, began murdering and maiming assertive black citizens. Um, he fails to mention the Union League or the black militias or that other thing. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, they got lots of guns and cannons. and Oh, yeah, the Union Army that's stationed in the South and occupying the South. We forgot about that thing that's perpetuating violence in the South. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, one would think that uh, something's going to happen when you have two armed camps sitting there and you trying to radically restructure society. I mean, yeah, some things are going to happen here. No, no, no way. Republican Party couldn't see this coming. No way. In 1877, after a mere dozen years in which black suffrage and racial equality were at least grudgingly accepted national principles, the federal government pulled its last troops from the South and in what would be called the Great Betrayal, an order of racial subjugation was restored. Um... In fact, what's interesting about that, and historians, uh, you know, the um, uh, Goldfield, who was by no means a conservative, actually said, you know, 1877, 1890, race relations were pretty fluid in the South. It wasn't until the 1890s, and a lot of that had to do with economic dislocation, that you started seeing some nastier race relations. Late 1880s, early 1890s. Uh, he brings up a little later James Longstreet. He brings him up twice. I'm going to say this about James Longstreet. James Longstreet, of course, is a scalawag. And he's, oh, we can't use those terms scalawag and carpetbag because, carpetbagger, because those are pejoratives. And we should stop calling them that. We should call them heroes. 
These northerners that settled in the south, uh, they were heroes. You know, these people that gained political power through extra legal means, essentially. They're heroes. These people that had... Um, these people that had power the way they did, they're heroes. James Longstreet's a hero. Now, what I'll say about James Longstreet is this. James Longstreet, of course, and he says that he was the most capable of General Lee's con- Confederate lieutenants. The most. Um, what about that guy, Thomas J. Jackson? Oh, yeah, I guess he wasn't very capable. Of course, he died, but, uh, but you know, Longstreet was much more capable. Because Longstreet knew that Gettysburg was going to fail. Um, so but what, he, what we fail to point out with Longstreet, and I'll say this. Had the South won, men like Longstreet or Amos Ackerman, who he points out a little later on, would have still been in the Confederate government. And who's to say these people wouldn't, had, uh, wouldn't have had influence in Confederate policy after the war? We know they would have. And they're Southerners. They're Southerners. Uh, so by saying, I mean, they were in the Confederate cause, and yet they hold these same positions. So what you're saying is the Confederate clause included all kinds of people with diverse views. I mean, Patrick Claiborne, yeah. I mean, look, there was a there was an emancipation plan put forward at the end of the war for the South. So who's to say all this stuff wouldn't have happened? But according to Gopnik and others, no, no, that stuff wouldn't have these, these people were Confederate leaders. Amos Ackerman, James Longstreet. Uh, He also brings up later, the Supreme Court played a crucial role in enabling the oppression of newly freed blacks while pretending merely to be protecting the constitutional guarantee of states' rights. They're just pretending it. They don't really mean that. They're They're just all a bunch of racists. You mean all these Supreme Court justices that were appointed by Republicans? Mostly Republicans? Yeah, because, I mean, there was only a very brief period before Plessy v. Ferguson in 1896 that you actually had a Democrat president, and um, I can't remember the exact composition, but most of the Supreme Court was still dominated by Republican-appointed judges who were primarily Northerners. Um, yeah, I mean, that they're just pretending, though. See, if the North was really the ally of, of freedmen, which is what he says here, this all these millions of freedmen, they had no allies except in the North, but it's the North uh, that dominates the Supreme Court. So what's going on here? Um, he brings up, uh, what he brings up, he says, meanwhile, at least some of those northern liberal abolitionists, including the likes of Henry Adams and the well-meaning Horace Greeley, manage in the way of high-minded reformers to let the pi- their pieties get the better of their priorities, recoiling against the apparent improprieties of the pro-suffrage grand administration. The apparent improprieties mean the real improprieties. They mean the corruption of the grand administration and the corruption of reconstruction at the state level. Everyone recognized it. It was awful. That's just apparent impropriety. So this this is uh that's just a hearsay. Yeah, it wasn't true. He's reading too much Ron Chernoff. Didn't read enough Philip Lee. Philip Lee's got a good book out on Reconstruction. Or I'm sorry, on Grant. Reconstruction too, but Grant. Uh, now, I brought up the uh, he says the lost cause lie. It's not the lie. It's I mean the righteous cause myth is the lie. And for years, people did, who brings up D.W. Griffith and Birth of a Nation and how Griffith was even-handed. I mean, objective people for years thought this. Griffith's movie is actually even-handed. Griffith actually came out with a movie after that to answer his critics that was much more critical of 
the the Klan and other things in in the in the war period. He actually wrote he he made a very pro Lincoln in one of his only movies that was a that was a voice film was pro Lincoln. Yeah, that that guy Griffith that doesn't like anybody in the North. Um, he brings up um, Samuel uh, Eliot Morrison, uh, who wrote Oxford History of the American People. He also wrote, uh, was editor of the uh, Encyclopedia of American History. And he says this, where, where, where Morrison says that um, John Wilkes Booth killed reconciliation, which was the best thing. Oh, my gosh. Gopnik says, you can't say that. Reconciliation was horrible. Horrible. Well, you know, uh, reconciliation was when, when it wasn't really ever tried uh, in a way that that um, anyone Lincoln wanted, um, it wasn't. What we had by 1867 was military reconstruction. That's when things got really bad. The violence escalated. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, reconciliation might have been better for the United States. Who knows? Because we never tried it. Um, Now, uh, he says Johnson was an open was openly racist. What American wasn't openly racist in the if, for except for a handful of people in the 19th century? Yeah, I mean that was Lincoln was openly racist. Lincoln said as much. We don't we don't say that. He brings up Amos Ackerman. He he uh, he says you know uh, Grant's Attorney General Amos Ackerman declared that the Ku Klux Klan was the most atrocious organization that the civilized part of the world has ever known. Help bring in more than 1,100 convictions against it. Uh, he also doesn't, um, in 1872, the year of that glorious lithograph, the Klan was, as Chernoff says, smash in the South. He doesn't bring up the fact that um, the uh, Amos Ackerman was sacked by Grant. And he doesn't bring up the fact that Ackerman was actually, now he was, he was not born in the South, but he was a Confederate officer in the war. He doesn't bring up the fact that a- Ackerman was sacked by Grant because he was anti-railroad which was what the real radical Republican agenda was. I mean, all this smokescreen for black rights and equality and all this stuff. See, we, we think of things like social justice warriors, but really all that was a smokescreen. You get blacks voting, and then they're going to vote, and of course you're going to get your political economy, which is railroads, banks, tariffs. That's what you're going to get. So keep the black... The only reason Grant was even elected in 1868 is because of the black vote and the fact that Southerners were disfranchised. He, he doesn't bring up the fact that Southerners were disfranchised in the South by the 14th Amendment. That was a concerted policy by the North. He doesn't bring any of that up. Um, he says, Lincoln's plea for charity and malice, again, and malice was admirable, but it left out the third term of the liberal equation, charity for all, malice to none, and political reform for the persecutors. Yeah, the premise of post-war denazification in Germany was a sound one. You had to root out the evil and make it clear that it was one. And only then would minds change. So Southerners are evil for pursuing the American policy of secession. They're evil. They're evil people for, uh, uh, for a labor system that was handed to them. They're evil. They're evil because they didn't try to change it. Well, Lincoln himself, who uh, has been pointed about Daniel Crofts, was all over the original 13th Amendment. In fact, it was Lincoln's amendment to make slavery permanent in the South, but yet Lincoln wasn't evil. The Republicans who voted for that, called the Corwin Amendment, they weren't, they weren't evil. Only Southerners were evil, because Southerners said, yeah, you can take your amendment and shove it, we just want independence. Southerners were actually pushing for an emancipation policy at the end of the war. 
Um, he asks, quote, Gopnik asks, what the hell was he doing? By he, he means Alexander H. Stevens back in there in Congress, one wonders, after all that death and suffering. Maybe because he was elected? Uh, he misses the speech that Alexander H. Stevens made where he urges Georgians to be kind to former slaves because they've done so much for them. Because slaves have been such loyal people. Be kind to these people. This is the same Stevens that asked Lincoln in 1865 what's going to happen to slaves. And Lincoln's response is, root hog or die. Well, I don't care. Whatever. Uh, but make sure they vote Republican. You see, it's all about power. And, nobody, and, and Gopnik doesn't seem to get that. It's all about power. Um, continuing, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm bumping up against time here. I don't want to go over too long. Um, he brings up Hiram Rhodes Revels, who I think is an, a really interesting character uh, from North Carolina, but then became the first African-American member of the Senate. And Hiram Rhodes Revels sniffed out what the Republicans were all about. And, and Gopnik's actually critical about this. He says, Hiram Rose Rebels, the black senator from Mississippi, who is on the left in that Courier Knives lithograph, blame Republican interlopers for bringing racial discord to the South. Well, he was true. It was correct. Writing to Grant in 1875 that, quote, since Reconstruction, the masses of my people have been, as it were, enslaved and mined by unprincipled adventurers who, caring nothing for country, were willing to stoop to anything, no matter how infamous, to secure power to themselves and perpetuate it. The bitterness and hate created by the late civil strife has, in my opinion, been obliterated in this state except perhaps in some localities, and would have long since entirely ob obliterated, were it not for some unprincipled men who would keep alive the bitterness of the past and, are, and calculate a hatred between the races in order that they may aggrandize himself by office. Well, he's right about that. I mean, but Knopnik, no, 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 no. I mean, this guy's not right. Um, gee, Hiram Rose Rebels was living it. He was right there. He said he's a true Republican, but these Republicans aren't Republicans. That letter that he wrote was fantastic in 1875. Of course, you know, he, he's critical of Booker T. Washington. He uh, Gopnik loves W.B. Du Bois because Du Bois was just a good... I mean, he was right on about everything. Booker T. Washington, no, 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 not, not right on. Du Bois, right on. That's a matter of opinion. Again, Du Bois didn't ever live in the South. Du Bois was from Massachusetts. Looking at it from the outside, Washington was in the South. Who has a better gauge as to what to do and how to do it? than two individuals, Rebels and Washington, compared to Du Bois, who's sitting outside of the South and saying, no, this is what we need to do. Well, why will we accept Du Bois? Why? He has no idea, no clue. Uh, he's critical, Gopnik is critical of the Southern agrarians uh, because, you know, the modernists... Um, because he says that the so-called Southern Agrarian School later assembled some of the, America's leading literary modernists is among the long-term ironies of the story. Oh, it is? Uh, literary modernists. I mean, these people were critical of modernity itself. They were critical of, of the idea of progress. I mean, I could go on and on about, the, about that. Uh, but, I mean, Gopnik has no idea what he's talking about. No idea what he's talking about. Um... So, I mean, this piece is just tired. It's simply tired. It's a bunch of garbage. Um, it, it's, but, of course, it passes for serious scholarship. Uh, and that's the unfortunate thing about it. People will read this piece and, oh, yeah, Gopnik, real serious scholar here. A uh, real serious guy. He's trying to point out the problems of Reconstruction. And, of course, that's going to be a complete lie. 
Gopnik has done nothing of the kind. If you want the real scoop on Reconstruction, I'll close with this. If you want the real scoop on Reconstruction, get my McClanahan Academy course, Reconstruction and Recreation, where I take apart the stupid stuff that Gopnik is saying here and show you what really happened in Reconstruction uh, and Recreation and how that impacts us today. I mean, what Gopnik really wants is another, is another Reconstruction whether it's the third or the fourth, depending on your, on your perspective. But what we're seeing in America is, is another Reconstruction. And this time, because of the, the way they're trying to change the language of the period, I think it get even more nasty than the first. Um, so we'll see. I mean, we're seeing Confederate statues come down. It's a low-hanging fruit. But what they really want is a radical restructuring of society. The social justice warriors want to radically restructure society. society. So um, that's that's the essence of this. And so... I hope you enjoyed this episode. Pick up that new class. Cheap as you can get it till April 15th. Uh, you'll never see it this low again. And uh, if you did subscribe to McClanahan Academy before the class came out, you'll know I had a pre-order, which was even lower than this one. And it'll never get that low ever again. Uh, so uh, you want to be that McClanahan Academy subscriber. Get those best deals. But I've got a deal for you still. 31 bucks off. You want to get this course while you can for, a, for that kind of price. Uh, it's well worth your time and energy to get it. And I've got more classes coming out, some great stuff in store from McClanahan Academy. So go ahead and roll there. And I will see you next time on The Brian McClanahan.